Hello and welcome to Rams Revealed. I'm your host, JB Long. The Rams are back home this week, breaking up their East Coast relay races and a chance to get to 3-1 and one as they host the New York Giants. Perhaps the biggest reason why LA is off to such a strong start and in fact boasts the most efficient offense in the NFL is the performance of their offensive line and a dominant rushing attack. So we wanted to spend some time this week with Aaron Cromer, who coordinates the run game and coaches that offensive line. One of Sean McVay's original hires back in 2017, you know that Cromer is now in his fourth season with the Rams and has multiple decades of experience in the NFL as a coordinator and a position coach. So with that, we say good afternoon, Chrome. How are you? Thanks for agreeing to do this. Yeah, thanks for bringing me on, JB. I understand it was a pretty hot start to week four up in Thousand Oaks. Yes, it was. We were in the 90s today. We were in the mid-90s, so uh, it was like a day at the beach. You go out there, get a little sweat, come on in, rest up for tomorrow. A good preparation for Sunday afternoon back at SoFi Stadium. So help us understand how a unit that was unfortunately panned for most of last season, somehow returns to elite performance eight months later. Well, you know, if you, if you really look deep into it, what we had the opportunity to do is play a lot of different guys at a lot of different positions. And we normally do that in practice, but we don't do it in games. But we were forced to do it in games last, last year. So what that did was give us confidence in eight players that got to play last year. And so they have experience, uh, whether you're talking about David Edwards or Robbie Evans or even Corbett coming to the Browns halfway through the season. You know, we're in London and uh, Corbs and I and, and Andy and Zach, we're sitting in there trying to learn the offense halfway through the season when we yeah. traded for him. And, and so um, it was just a great opportunity last year and it, it didn't bode well for the entire organization. You know, as far as, you know, we had a lot of injuries, we had to move a lot of guys around and every week was a different, uh, a different lineup, but and and there were times we played well and times we didn't, and so I just feel like they have a lot more experience now and they understand what we're trying to get done. And when we, if we like a guy with Joe Nopum out, you know, it's sad to see that, but David Edwards went in and played really well last week. So strategically, you know, aside from having that continuity that you enjoyed in your first couple of seasons with the Rams, what did you want to do different technically in your approach to the running game coming back for this season? It appears you're more targeted between the tackles, maybe more productive coming downhill. I know my broadcast partner, MJD, sees more pulling and trapping. Can you walk us through yeah, some of that? Yeah, yeah the, the biggest thing with our running game is we're trying to, to hit every hole in the book, you know, as far as hitting mm -hmm. outside to the right, outside to the left, mid, and right down the middle. Um, and, and not every play goes exactly where you're intending, but, but what you're trying to do is, is – uh, is just keep the defense um, on edge and not running the same thing over and over. So um, we've had variety. Um, it's just this year we feel like we understand the techniques and the and the um, scheme that we need to employ with the line that we have and the running backs that we have. And these running backs are so explosive. If we can get them through the line, you know, they're uh, they're doing a good job of getting their head down and, and really hitting these creases. They sure are. And so how does a group move on from Todd Gurley? Have Daryl Henderson coming off a hamstring during training camp, Malcolm Brown with a broken finger, rookie Cam Akers out with ribs, and yet run the ball more efficiently through three games than ever before? You know, one of the things you'd say is less need in the, in the crew, you know, being able to find running backs that are talented. And, and uh, we have a room there that, that every one of them um, understands and, and has a lot of talent to run the ball. But I think that the thing that uh, we do best in, as an organization is one, you know, they find good players. And then two, as an entire offense, 
I, it's so important that everybody understands the intent of every play and not just mm-hmm. read this hole to this hole, but understand the intent of what we're trying to get done and how we, how we vision, how we visualize these plays. And when you do that, then there's a lot more chance for success because the, re- the reactions and the responses that are needed by not only the line, but the, but the running back um, are a lot more seamless. I'm glad you make that point, too, because it's not just your starting five up front. The Rams, with their condensed splits, often bring receivers into the fold. And so how do Woods and Cup and the tight ends act as an extension of what you're trying to accomplish? Yeah, you know, our two, like you're saying, with Robert Woods and, and uh, Cooper Cup and those guys, you know, you expect Higby to block his big old butt. You know, he's a good player. <laughs> now, that guy can block and run and catch, and he can do it all. Um and then you add these two receivers that are so selfless. They both got new contracts and they both are blocking harder now than they ever blocked. And, you know, mm-hmm. and that's just the, the uh, togetherness that we have here. And they're able to, to – they're cutting off defensive ends on the back. I, I don't know if anyone noticed, but in uh, four-minute, meaning we have to run the ball out to, to finish the game in Philly. And, uh, and the biggest block in the field is Cooper Cup blocking um, Graham on the backside defensive end and us cutting right up inside of his block for, for a first down. I mean, that was, I was, I was so excited. You know, I was going to ask if there's a play from the first three weeks that you're most proud of from an execution standpoint, maybe it's that one or another one, but I invite you to be as granular as you're, as you want in your recollection, even though we can't see it now, maybe I'll go look it up on the all 22. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish I wouldn't have already said that then, but yeah. at the same time, when you can, when you can ask a wide receiver to use a technique that you're looking for, um, to be able to cut off a defensive end that has been beating tight ends and tackles, you know, all day. And he, he takes the guy's hand away. You watch Cooper Cup on that play at the end of the game. He, he knocks the guy, knocks Graham's hand down and then gets his hand back underneath and cuts the guy off. And, and, and uh, Daryl Henderson just scoots right through that backside gap and it's wide open. And, and, you know, when you get something like that from a wide receiver against their best player, one of their best players, I mean, you, you can't ask for more than that. So I love that we've kind of done like a 30,000 foot view of the whole thing. I'd love to kind of start to drill down into some of the the individuals, but specifically the offensive line. You know, I was impressed virtually no free agent or draft investment in that group. And I wonder if you can take us inside the offseason discussions in terms of how as a brain trusted you and Sean, the front office, arrive at that conclusion that you didn't need to bolster this unit, that you could just double down and go back to work. Well, everybody, everybody on earth was saying, you know, well, the line's not any good last year, you know, whatever. And, you know, with all the changing parts and those kind of things. And so the narrative was that we didn't have good players. And that was wrong. We had inexperienced players. We had players that didn't quite understand. They were working their way into playing time and understanding how to work together and understanding the techniques and the intent that we're looking at. And they worked their way through it. Um, and as the season went on, we got better and better and better because those guys got more reps and they understood what we're trying to get done. So um, when you're looking at the draft and you're saying, okay, um, what round do you have a pick and those kind of things. And the most important thing is to ask yourself, if we draft that guy, is he better than David Edwards? If we draft that guy, is he better than Bobby Evans? Is he better than one of these players? And the answer was no, more work. Um, so that's when that's when you when you have something really rolling. You understand that these guys have talent. They just needed to work on it some more and get some more experience. And and it's showing up now. But you know we're pretty physical line. We hope we can keep doing it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of those players who unfortunately didn't get as much experience as you would have liked was Joe Noteboom because his season was cut short last year. 
But I think many of us were surprised to see him plug right back in uh, when some outside evaluations seemed to indicate that David Edwards outperformed him at guard last season. So before we get to the Nopum injury, what went into giving that job back to Joe this year? Well, you know, every day is a battle and every day is an interview. That's the way we treat life. And, um, and when you say that uh, you come into training camp and who's playing best and who do you feel like is, has the best opportunity um, to have success, you know, with your offense, Joe, Joe did a better job in training camp. And then as training camp can't go on, um, and obviously Joe being injured, um, um, David really kept working at it. And he is, he is really playing well. Mm-hmm. And when he comes in and plays as well as he did in Buffalo, is it fair to say now that that's his job, even when Boom is healthy enough to return, or will you take that in its due course? Yeah, we have to take that in due course. Just you know, we you know we have some good backups that could be starters, and and yeah. uh, and I think it's just a case of finding out you know what's best for the team, and and uh, time tells a lot more than anything, and and uh, a lot of you know guys that get football adjust and react better than guys that don't, and you know so there's so many factors. It's not just size and weight and speed and all those things. Um, and how you see defenses to be able to have success, those kind of things. They're so big. And, and But Joe is such a vital part. I mean, if you know, this guy hasn't really had a chance to play his, his natural position, left tackle, thank goodness, because Witt has been playing. Yeah. And, and he just continues to play, and I hope that keeps happening. Um, uh, but that's really Joe's natural position. We're just trying to find a way to get five um, successful players out there. All right, so let's go to Andrew Whitworth next. And I struggled to come up with a new way to ask this question. Uh, Andrew's even said himself he doesn't think of himself as a Hall of Famer. But you've been around a lot of greats. To know what he's meant to this organization over the last four seasons, does he deserve consideration in that regard? Yeah, I think he would. I I do think he would. You know, anybody that plays that long and has the the amount of success that he's had, um, I mean, he's developed as a player still today. He's developing as a player um, and, and, and just continuing to get himself leaner and quicker and faster. And like, I, I would tell you that there's a lot of times I bet you he feels quicker now than he did six years ago. Um, because he really knows how to train. You can become smarter. You know how your body works better as time goes on. You know what works for you better. Those kind of things. I mean, he just never, he's not slowing down. Let's jump to center next, Chrome. And I remember talking to Austin Blythe this summer who said he wanted to bring some John Sullivan back to the huddle and the line of scrimmage. Does it feel like center is home for him back where he belongs? It really does. Um, and he did an excellent job at guard. And we use his, uh, his clips and his cut-ups from years past playing guard and technique and how to do things. Um, and we show it over and over. And he did an excellent job. Um, but center really has been something good. It was been a good move for him as well. Um, he's smart. He's quick. He's strong. He's got that wrestling. He doesn't look that big, but he's so strong because he was such a good wrestler. He has such good lower body balance and strength, and he can and he can use his 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 lift and his momentum better than a lot of guys. And that's how a guy of his stature, you know, most everybody's six five, three twenty, you know, and and then he gets in there, whatever size he is, um, nowhere near that. Uh, but he has natural leverage. He really can get under guys and he has a good feel for maneuvering. And it has to be from, it has to be the same reason why he was the state champion wrestler um, in high school uh, because he could do that. But the thing that he's changed and what he was talking about being the John Sullivan is Sully took over the offense. He, he made every call. He turned around and tell the quarterback what play to get to, you know, all those kind of things that 
that a veteran can do. And last year, um, when Austin Blythe was in playing some center, you know, he'd been playing guard. He wasn't in charge. He wasn't supposed. He wasn't saying you should do this, you should do that. Hey, get to this play. Um, when we have two plays called, those kind of things, or three plays called, or whatever the situation may be. Where so this year he's just becoming more of like, okay, I understand this offense. I understand mm-hmm. why we're trying to do these things. No, we're you know, let's do this. And he's really been more demonstrative in that way. And it's really not in his nature, the funny part. You know, it's, he's just a mild-mannered person um, who goes about his way, but but he really has taken good control, and he has a good command of our offense. To his right, Austin Corbett, uh, as you referenced, teaching him the offense in London last year as a reminder that, you know, it's been less than a year since he arrived from Cleveland. Where is he now compared to the moment he landed in Los Angeles? Well, first I'd like to thank Cleveland for not liking him. <laughs> I always say, I can't tell you how many times I run into him, I go, thank God Cleveland didn't like you. <laughs> because the, the guy is just powerful. He's, he's, he's a bigger Blythe type body. Like he, he, under, he can get his hips under you. He's really um, does a good job with, uh, with, with using his power. Um, and he's athletic and can run. And, um, and we really liked him coming out of college. It's just Cleveland picked him in the second round and, and he was gone. But um, he's a guy that has developed as well. You know, we had him at some left guard last year, and mm-hmm. now he flipped to right. And our biggest move, biggest thing with Joe putting Joe at left was, well, we can't put him at right and then ask him halfway through the game to play left tackle if something happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we had to keep – we're trying to keep him on the same side. So at least if he had a bump out of which shoelace came untied and he had to play <laughs> tackle for a couple of plays, you know, then, then he would be on the same side. That was the idea there. Um, so we're like, hey, do you mind Corbs moving to the other side? Um, to help the lion out, and he did, and uh, that's an unselfish guy, and 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 you know he's still learning. He's I mean this is only his I don't know how many games tenth ninth game starting, and mm-hmm. so in the NFL he didn't get to play at all in Cleveland. They didn't even put him in the game. They wouldn't let him play in preseason. I mean I don't really understand what was going on there because this guy's a good player. Hmm. Yeah, learning on the job at right guard and learning on the job as a new father too. Our congratulations to Austin along the way. All right, uh, right tackle, I think. Last season left a lot of Rams fans wondering, will the real Rod Havenstein please stand up? And I think through three games this year, he's back to his 2018 form, is he not? Absolutely. Absolutely. And he was banged up last year, and he wouldn't – Rob's the toughest guy I know. I mean, he, he refuses to let anybody know there's anything wrong with him. He's, I'm fine, I'm fine. Well, come find out, he, you know, he wasn't fine. And, mm-hmm. But he was just playing through it. He's like, I play football. That's what I do. I'm not, I'm not getting out because something hurts. But then he gets, he, you know, so he gets fixed and he, now he comes back stronger and, and better than ever. So we're excited he's back to being Rob. I do want to ask you about one backup before we finish this up, and that's Tremaine Ingram. Because during training camp, I was surprised at how much he got work at left tackle. And I wonder what the future could hold for the one lineman that you did take in the class of 2020. Yeah, you know, you, you think about Tremaine, you know, he was a 12th from the last pick of the draft. And you talk about a steal we had in that pick because, you know, everybody goes on height and weight, you know, and obviously yeah. you'd like to have a guy that's 6'8", 320, but you can't get them all like that. They're not in the seventh round. If they are, you don't want them, you know. So this guy was the best player available. We bring him up. We bring him in, and he's better than we thought. Um, he's uh, He's got good balance, good strength. And the thing about him that you don't understand because he isn't as tall as the other guys – um, his arms are like a six, six person, like he has 34 inch arms on a six, two and a half body. 
So when you have that balance and base and that long of an arm, um, you can play left tackle. And, you know, you don't see it as much because because you don't see six, two guys with 34 inch arms either that know how to use them, you know, and that's, that's something that you're always looking for because these defensive ends that are rushing on the left tackle all have 35, 36, 34 inch arms and you can't reach them. You. So that, you know, he, he's done a good job since he got here. Another guy that needs a lot of reps because he just, you know, he's playing at Clemson and he hasn't had the opportunity to get in these games, but he's doing a good job in practice. Who is getting those reps at left tackle when Andrew takes his midweek day off? Um, he is. He is he on is. days, and Bobby is. Bobby Evans mm-hmm. is. Yeah, so we're, we're playing both those guys. And part of the reason I ask is because, you know, I wonder – hopefully it's years before we have to answer this question or find out mm-hmm. the answer in many championships before Witt decides to hang it up. But is the future at left tackle in-house, do you think, Crum? I believe so. I believe we have a couple candidates, and, and we'll, see, uh, we'll see where it goes. Right. Okay, relative to some other systems you've worked in and have coordinated, I wonder in what ways Sean McVay's offense is more demanding for an offensive line and in what ways it's offensive line friendly. Um, it's more demanding, um, but the system itself uh, bodes well because we, we bring a lot of guys in with football intelligence. And one of the things in the draft is if it does the guy have football intelligence. So we don't care if, if he has a C in math class. We care if we have we you know we care if um, you're explaining angles and why things happen and then you go back to the tape and you're watching it with their college tapes and you're saying what what is this and they they can communicate why things were happening and and when you get that then they can learn this offense um, if they're just um, blocking the guy over them they probably can't learn this offense too much for them but but it but the, it is a it is tough on the guys at first. And we make it even tougher because we won't let them play just one position. We make mm-hmm. them play multiple positions so they understand why things are happening in all spots and find out where they best fit. Um, and you never know where you'll need them. Um, so they play a lot of positions. So that's but so the tough part is is just understanding the targets and why we're trying to do things um, and under not just blocking the guy over. And then the easy part of it is is everything makes sense. Like you can get in some offenses that did just call the play. And you're like, that play doesn't make any sense. Why are we, you know, as a player, and you're like, this makes I, – I, I don't have a chance to make my block on this. And there's almost everything that Sean McVay does makes sense. And mm-hmm. so you can, you, you, can, you can internalize and say, that's why this is happening. And if it doesn't make sense, we're like, hey, guys, that was our fault. We understand that that was a bad angle to put you in in a bad position. We won't call that again. Don't worry about mm-hmm. it. We'll do the next play. I know you're home this week, but is anyone enjoying the lack of crowd noise on the road more than your group? I mean, it's almost like a cheat code for an offensive line, isn't it? Going to Philadelphia and Buffalo and operating a library. I can't tell you how many times I've been to Philadelphia and Buffalo and you can't hear if I'm screaming right in your face. <laughs> and to be out there and just be able to hear the cadence and hear the calls and not have to uh, use silent cadence, this is a lineman's dream. So as long as we can keep the well, I, don't, I love fans, so I don't want to say keep the fans out, but it sure is nice for the linemen. But we'll be happy when the fans get back and we can't hear because the excitement they bring, we love. Almost as happy as you are about holding penalties being down 59% across the league in the first three weeks, right? Yeah, you know, last year I didn't understand. Like, I, I, I would stand on the sideline and I would talk to referees after games and call, you know, and I, I just didn't understand football at that point. Like, I – it was my 19th year in the NFL, and I had coached in college, which, but, and I'm like, 
I don't understand where the game has gone. What are we trying to accomplish by the calls that they were making last year? Hmm. Um, and now they're back to playing football. It's like, it's like Rob Havenstein got the hold in the last game, and it's because the quarterback scrambled out to the right, and he didn't know it. You know, so he got his hand caught. He thought he was just pass prone for him to be behind him. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, there was an open space, and and, and Jared just ran. So it's like, okay, um, that's, a, well, that's a fine holding call. It happens, you know, because he broke the pocket. So I can live with that. But they were calling some actually bad calls last year. Um, it, did, it just didn't make sense. And they were doing it on purpose for some reason. And then blocks in the back when you'd be going to block a guy and he'd dip his shoulder and they call you on a block in the back. It's like the guy was looking right at me when I went to hit him. And then, you know, so they were just – they're overemphasizing some things that I think they're back to, like, being realistic about football, um, whether it's defensive holding or offensive holding, mm-hmm. um, or whether it's some of these calls that it's like that did not affect the play. It has nothing to do with the play. Um, so I, I feel like they're back to – the other 19 years I had coached football last year was just like as bad as 2020 is for everything else. That was our last year's um, referee calls. That's what it seemed like 2019 was like the COVID of referees. Mm. Mm. Well, it it certainly has made for a more enjoyable product and uh, scoring is up and your offense uh, is off to a great start. So I commend the work that you've done in a challenging off season. Same for Andy and Zach and all the great staff that you have there in Thousand Oaks. Keep it up. I know there's still a long way to go. Appreciate it, JB. Thanks for having me on. If you enjoyed our conversation with Aaron Cromer, please do subscribe to this podcast so that you can be notified when the next episode is available. If you're on Apple Podcasts especially, would you take a moment to leave a comment and a review for us? Those go a long way. For Aaron Cromer, Jory, Rudy, Talia, and Tiffany, I'm JB Long, and this is Rams Reveal.